Hi, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Lockhart. You're listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry. I'm here today with C.L. Bledsoe, who's joining us to discuss some of his work. Thanks for coming on the air, C.L. Thanks for having me. Uh, We're going to start with a poem. Okay, um, I need to explain just a little bit about it. Um, So I'm a big fan of, uh, like, anthropology and uh, historical texts and uh, but I'm also a big fan of pseudo history so I sort of put a bunch of these together into a poem Um, I read this article recently about how um, someone theorized that the color blue wasn't known you know a thousand years two thousand years ago Um, and one of the ways that they um, determined this is they looked at like if you look at Homer he doesn't talk about the color blue. He says like the wine, dark sea and things like that. So that started me thinking about all this pseudo history, which maybe that's, that's true, but some of these other things aren't. So, um, this poem is called the color blue is never mentioned by Homer. There's a story that when the conquistadors first came to the new world, the natives had never known anything like the Spanish warships and simply couldn't see them like ex-lovers at the bar. Their shamans had to come explain that these were the gods returned finally to murder the faithful, to bring rest. Similarly, it's said that the trembling Greeks couldn't distinguish the voices in their heads from the jealous tones of angry gods, their own ids ordering young goat herds to ravish the lusty swans, tear their ignorant pink hearts on the flowers, the river's thorns. You and I, we see the ships and the lies, the flowers, thorns, our throats, the bleeding rivers the gods ache for. We're the gray ones whispering the secret math of the pyramids in the ancients' ears. But this is just another story. Baby, you're not even real. You're just a voice I made up so I wouldn't be alone when the gods return. I've been faithful, and I'm waiting for my reward. Hmm. That's a beautiful poem. As... I think I don't Thank think you. I've ever read anything that you've written that hasn't struck me that way. Um, Thank you. One of the things that makes me think of it almost so I I love the pseudo history side of it, but it also feels like a very modern commentary on connection as well. Um, and I'm wondering if that was conscious or if that was just the way the poem came out. Yeah, it. it um, I had hoped that it would go sort of in that direction. Um, these connections that we make on social media and things like that yeah, um, that can be very profound but at the same time we might not even meet someone um, you know in the physical world it's like a, a spatial uh, enfolding upon itself and yet almost sometimes as real as anything in the physical world and I think that one of the things we do here in poetry is kind of play in that space a bit. Um, how do you bridge the distance between writer and reader? I, you know, I have tried to write things um, that I thought would be, I guess commercial is not really the word, word when we're talking about poetry, but, you know, that I thought people would like. Um, and it, I don't know that it really works for me. 
Um, <laughs> if I feel strongly about something, then hopefully somebody else will connect too. How often do you write, Court? I write every day, but I don't always write poetry. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, poetry is um, poetry's harder for me to write than I write a lot of novels and um, I write humorous well, attempts to be humorous stuff, <laughs> uh, things like that. Um, but poetry only happens every so often because uh, I do kind of have to be inspired. I know that's really kind of a passe idea, but um, I, I do really have to feel something kind of profound to be able to write a poem. Well, so. when you're feeling inspiration, does it? how does it work in terms of knowing that it's a poem inspiration or a story idea? How do you know uh, what what ideas get channeled into which format? If it's a very strong feeling, it's probably going to be a poem. Um, with poetry, I'm usually trying to figure something out. I'm trying to, I mean, on a very basic level, I'm sort of trying to figure out how to live, mm-hmm. how to how to move in the world as a, maybe as a moral person or as an emotional person or whatever political what you know in some way how to interact with the world um if with poetry there's usually more more depth there though i've written some very emotional stories as well yeah and and i think you've covered a lot of terrain in your work um are there themes that you return to over and over again or do you find that you get bored on a certain subject and want to go explore something else both. Um, <laughs> I, um, I write about connection a lot. I guess everybody does. Um, I write about, uh, my, um, I write about sickness a lot. Um, illness, which a lot c- comes from my childhood, really. Um, I write about, uh, sort of, the way that I, I guess I write about the way that I see the world, which is that there's a lot of noise pretty much all the time, and you have to uh, whatever that means, you know, and you have to kind of fight sometimes to find those small connections that those small moments of quiet between two people, um, and so I guess that, however you put that, is kind of a theme, a major theme for me. Yeah, I love that. And I love I love that you um, speak to it that way, because I think by its nature, that is a, that's a role and that poetry fills and kind of part of its mission and to approach it consciously from that standpoint. Um, I, I think that that adds a lot of intimacy to the work itself. You know, for some people, poetry feels a little standoffish, but I think when it's best, it feels like it's very one-on-one and direct conversation. Um, and, and subject matter plays into that. Um, you do write yeah. a lot about family, and um, and that can be hard. How do you decide what to share with a reader, for example? That's tough. Um, you never know how somebody's going to react. Uh, they, they might see themselves in a piece 
uh, even if they're not in it, um, <laughs> or they might not see themselves in it when it's very clearly about them. Um, you know, uh, if it's if it's well, if it's anything that that is a felony or it could be, <laughs> you know, uh, damaging to them, then I'm probably not going to share that. Um, does, Otherwise, is, yeah, go ahead. Is that is that something? So, is there? Um, do you, is some of your writing strictly for not an audience and just for CL, or is all of it with the possible intent of finding its way into the world, and you just will let it kind of find its own course piece by piece? Well, there are things that aren't any good. Wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but um. There are, yeah, I mean, every once in a while, I will write about something that's a little too uh, personal or something like that. Um, but for the most part, I'm, I'm, if I sit down to write something, once I get beyond a certain point with it, I'm probably going to try to publish it. If there's something there that I'm going to try to, you know, if, and if it's not, you know, if the quality isn't there or, or, if I feel like it can't be shaped or, or whatever, then I'm not going to finish it. I'm just going to abandon it. And, uh, if, you know, if there's an emotional issue there, um, that can be tough. And I've, you know, had people read things and, you know, I ask, try to get their permission or whatever, but, um, also, and this is maybe not nice, but, I'm probably talking about my experience with this person. So I kind of think it's fair game. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I get it. I do get that. Do you ever find that timing is a, is a factor in some of those decisions? Yeah. You know, write it, but maybe now is not the time to share it. Maybe I'll hold that for another time down the road and it'll see the light of day. Eventually. I just don't know when yet. Maybe. Absolutely. And also, um, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but it's not like this is going out on broadcast television or, right. you know, it's, there's not a Netflix special of my poems. <laughs> so odds are, you know, I could change some names or whatever and nobody's going to, you know. When you get that Netflix special, totally, yeah. I'm going to be a part of that in one way or another. I don't care how, see, so yeah, we're going to make that happen and take it big time. Everybody we know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll bring you in on it. Thanks. <laughs> uh, you have another poem to share with us, and it's it's kind of in line with what we've been talking about here. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I have a poem about um, kind of dealing with my mother's death. Um, and her um, her religion and, and kind of connecting with her. So I'll read that. Um, and these are both from a collection I'm working on that's sort of dealing with processing grief and um, kind of mental illness and just a lot of kind of heavy stuff. Yeah. A real, a real laugh riot. Uh, so this is called music you come in late on purpose 
long enough that the ushers have taken their seats. Sit in the back so only the most devout turn to see. You're uncomfortable, not just because the pews are harder than you remember, but because you do remember that you were never comfortable here. And what you thought was familiar was a memory of something that never happened. An old man talks. He cares more about the evils of the world than you've ever cared for the good. People cough, fidget. You begin to understand that they are not comfortable either, but they stay, and so do you, this one time. Your mother felt something here. Maybe you could feel something of her, but your worry is that it was only fear or habit or a chance to get out of the house. The man is working himself into a passion about sin, about his fear that the world is moving away from him, and you realize, sitting there, a third of your body numb, that you never considered the movements of the world to be, to be anything other than music, a concerto to be listened to, feared, affected by, but not one that can be altered. Only the way in which you listen can change. Now they sing and you feel the end coming. You stumble for the door before their curious hands can find yours, their mouths asking if you'll be back next Sunday. Hmm. Yeah, you're covering a lot of terrain in that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and it's not, I, I'm thinking, I, I could envision a scenario like that in a story in a, in a fictional work and in a lot of different formats but there's just a layering that you can do with it in poetry that that uh, changes everything and gives it some texture that it's, it's just harder to do in the in the course of a straight narrative yeah well for me that was that was what I was thinking the approach um when you write a poem like that, or or any other poem even, how much time is, proportionally speaking, spent on the writing versus the editing? I feel like, I guess it's different for every poem. Um, I kind of, I, I really edit as I go. Uh, I don't. I pretty quickly it shifts into editing mode. Okay. Um, e even before I finished it, uh, or or I don't know, finish is the word, but even before I've gotten to, you know, something substantial on the page, I'm probably editing it already. Um, the um, the sort of rhythm of it, the the word choice. Um, I'm sort of it, it all it, I'm figuring that all out together with the narrative mm. um, if there is a narrative most of my stuff has a narrative but and that's so, also a very yeah. different eye and ear than what you would do if you were if you were shaping it into fiction or, or even memoir right right it's all it's all a, a, an entirely different space on that when let me ask you this when you um, when you read something, you know, um, at an, in, in, in a venue or or, you know, this type of a format, how much does that affect your editing process? I hear things sometimes that I didn't notice before. Um, and I definitely. 
hear the, the, the rhythm and the music of it more than I might have if I were reading it just to myself um, and the way people react. But a crowd, you know, an audience can be very misleading <laughs> one, one way or the other. I mean, they can be very forgiving. They can uh, give you the benefit of the doubt. They can, you know, go there with you in ways that um, can make you think something is stronger than it is or, or what have you. So have well, you, on the other hand, they could do the opposite. They could just not get it. Yeah. You know. Have you ever been in a situation where you, um, you had a poem and you read it in one, one venue or audience and it was received entirely different in a different audience and you. Oh, sure. Um, I've had first poem that I read. Um, I think the first time I ever read that anywhere, people applauded. And then I've had times when um, people were just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've had, I've been heckled. Um, I've had people. Oh, no. (laughs) Not for any of these, but yeah, just, you know, um, a couple times I've had people, I had a guy walk out one time. He was oh, so angry. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, well, I mean, there's heckling and there's heckling, right? I mean, I've been heckled, like, angrily heckled. And then I've been heckled, like, drunk people asking me questions in the middle of the poem. <laughs> which is, well. which I enjoy, actually. <laughs> I just think, I'm thinking now I got to go to some of your readings because I, I have to see this kind of interaction in person. <laughs> uh, Baltimore, you should go to Baltimore. I should definitely go to Baltimore. It's not that far from Jersey. <laughs> it's No, it's great. It's a great city. Uh, the art scene, whatever genre of art, whatever type of art you're into, it's great. You can't, you know, if you walk down the street, you can't you know, more than a few steps without seeing somebody doing something. Like there's a, <laughs> if there's a space, then somebody is putting on some kind of art. Yeah. Um, it's a great city. And, um, and the audiences are super receptive, but they might also be drunk and they might. Um, <laughs> I had this, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I can tell you all kinds of stories. I had this little flash, funny little flash story. I read one time about ladybugs and this guy interrupts in the middle of it. And he's like, those aren't ladybugs. And I'm like, it's, it's my story. (laughs) I haven't actually given you any description. Just that the word ladybugs, how do you, like, how do you know? He's like, I read a thing that said that, you know, they're not really ladybugs. Like they are though. (laughs) Because I, this is my world. I and he's just arguing me. He's in like the fir- third row, you know. Just oh. this but it was fun. I, I don't know how to <laughs> explain that, but it's fun. Um, so yeah, it's different. Different places have different um, sort of tones. Or I've had things that are supposed to be funny. I haven't really done any funny stuff tonight, but. Um, I have things that other places people would just would laugh at. And then, you know, you go to a certain venue, a certain audience, and it's more 
intellectual people are like oh i see that you're utilizing humor that's interesting (laughs) so you um i know that you find inspiration in your experiences raising your daughter yeah and some of that has to be humorous and some of it has to be absolutely infuriating (laughs) yeah absolutely she's well you know all kids I don't know who said it, but but there's a line that all children are geniuses, and um, she's, you know, she's very funny and she's very, but yeah, of course she's. You teach them to to have, to be to have you know autonomy and and to be self reliant, and that means that they're going to argue with you. Yeah. Also, so. <laughs> yeah, you you don't realize you're you're. They're, the things you want them to take out into the world with them, they have to practice on you first. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to close with a poem uh, in, in the, on the subject of your daughter. That's the poem we're going to close with. I'd love to hear that at this point. So I'll say about this that I read this to her earlier, and she freaked out. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> she got really upset, and I, I was like, "Why?" I did. I genuinely had no idea she, that that response would happen. I was, "Why are you so upset?" And um, I think she thought that I was saying that her hair was messy, um, <laughs> and she didn't like that. All the other stuff, she's, she, she just glossed over. But the messy hair, you know, so. There you go. You never know how people are going to respond. No. And you know what? And and hair, you know, sometimes feels like safe space, but for, oftentimes it's very, very thin ice. It's, that's very true. <laughs> well, now I can't okay. wait to hear it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it's I think it's a very positive poem, hopefully. Um, so it's called Dreamcatcher. Her hair is a tangled field of sweet straw, knocked crooked in heavy winds, catching any light that stumbles nearby. Maybe this is why she radiates heat. When I'm trying to nap, sick on the couch, she perches high on my side, watching screaming cartoons. Dazzled strangers stop us on sidewalks to remind us, in case we've forgotten, life isn't always gray. It's not. Bees follow us to get at the pollen they can smell trapped in the mess. I thump them away when they get too close and scare her. If I had time, I'd learn to collect their honey, walk her through the sweetest fields, open a boutique to pay for college. But I can barely remember to stop smiling long enough to thank the policeman for the speeding ticket most mornings. Brushes are an enemy to her. The confining toil of hair ties lead to tears. Stickers lost or found, twigs, fuzz, all of it down the drain after the bathwater straightened her locks. It won't last. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Yeah. One day she's not going to be her. so upset about that and she's going to be really, really, really touched by it. I'll give it a few more years. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say maybe 10 or so. <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> and only when she's feeling charitable and she's probably not going to tell you about it. <laughs> That's, yeah, probably not. 
Well, C.L. Bledsoe, thank you so much for joining me. Can you um, tell our readers a little something about where they can hear your work, either live, in person, online, wherever? Um, I have an Amazon author page, which has a, a few poetry collections on it. Um, I read, let's see, I don't have anything coming up really soon, but uh, I do read in kind of the middle Atlantic region pretty regularly. Um, and you can always Google me. We're, that's the easiest way to find out anything these days. And right now we're in that dark spot of winter where I think we're all looking forward to some springtime poetry to kind of brighten us out of this rain, snow, sleet nightmare. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been my pleasure to have you here, and I hope to have you here again soon. Thanks so much. Everyone, that's C.L. Bledsoe. Look him up, Google him, read his work, listen to him, go see him live when you can, and um, we'll be back soon with someone new. And I hope that you have a great and poetic rest of the evening. Thank you. You too. Thank you.